Father, today again we, uh, we take up this subject of the rapture and your uh, soon coming for your church, this gathering of believers uh, unto you, Lord, and uh, just what a glorious day that's going to be. And Lord, uh, what good news we have in this text that we're going to look at today. And, and so, Lord, I just ask that you help us to get clarity on the timing of the rapture. Uh, Paul does that in this text uh, on the importance of the rapture, on the importance of what we're to be uh, doing based upon the rapture, Lord. So I just uh, just ask for you to bless us in a special way. And Lord, may we bless you with our attentiveness to your word today. And Lord, may uh, uh, we take this text and be motivated to serve you and worship you in just a new way, in an exciting way, because exciting Things are on the horizon, Lord, and we're just looking forward to all the great things you have planned for us. And so, Lord, we just ask you to bless this study and ask you to do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today Paul is going to talk again about the rapture, and he's going to refer to it in Second Thessalonians as the gathering, the great gathering of believers unto Christ. Uh, it's the next main event on the prophetic calendar. And I mean, it could happen at any moment. And uh, uh, so what I want to do today, I want to first of all begin with a little parable that Jesus gave about the rapture. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 13 and go with me down to verse number 24. These were the kingdom parables that he gave and uh, he gave several parables about the kingdom. And what is the kingdom on earth? What's the kingdom on earth? We're the kingdom on earth. The church is the kingdom on earth. We're the habitation of God as born again believers. And God does his work on earth, earth through us. So we're the kingdom of God on earth. So when he gives these kingdom parables, he's talking about us. Those of us who are truly born again. And he gives this parable about the end times when he's going to gather his church unto himself. And I want you to look at this beginning down in verse number 24. And it, it says, he says, and another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven, which is again, in this context is the church, is like a man who sowed, a, who sowed good seed in his field. All right. Now, who's the man? Who's the man who sowed good seed in his field? Jesus Christ is the man. And what did he sow? He sowed the gospel and he sowed the, the uh, word of God into his field. And what's his field? His field is the world. And, and, and then watch what happens in verse 25. But while men slept. Now that's interesting there because look at the, look at the word man. It's, the, it's plural. It's not singular. So who are the men? Well, I think he's talking about those of us in the church. Men and women in the church. But while the men slept, in other words, they weren't alert. They weren't doing what they should have been doing. While the men and women of the church slept, his enemy, now who's the enemy of Christ? Satan. His enemy came in and sowed tares or weeds. Now what kind of weeds did he sow? He sowed into the church unbelievers, false Christians, false teachers, and false doctrine. And it says, so 
But while the man slept, the enemy, his enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat. Now, who, who, what's the wheat? The wheat is the good stuff. That's us, the true born-again believers. We're the wheat. And he, then he went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, and, and then the tares also appeared. So as the church grows, these weeds grow with the church, is what he's saying in verse 26. So the servants, or the angels of the owner, who is Jesus, came to him and said, Sir, did you not grow... Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy, the Satan, has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go up and gather them up? You want us to go into the church and destroy these false teachers and these false believers and, and just leave, you, leave the church with only true believers and true teachers? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you might also uproot the weak with them. But let them grow together. You know, God has a plan in that. God has a plan in allowing unbelievers to be in the, the traditional church. He has a plan in that. And what, what do you think maybe that plan is? Well, for me, I'll tell you how it works for me. False doctrine, when I see false doctrine, it makes me dig into the word more and makes me study the word more and try to find the true doctrine. And, and so it sharpens, it sharpens us up when, we, when we're around false believers and false teachers. They serve their purpose. And so anyway, it says, let them both grow together until the harvest. And, and at, that, at the time of the harvest, uh, he says, when this great gathering of believers, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to, to burn them. And this word but comes in there and, and it's, it, it shows a contrast there. So really what he's saying here, he's saying, but first gather the wheat into my barn. In other words, at this great gathering, the angels are going to come down with these sickles and they're going to make this harvest of, of, of uh, unbelievers. And in other words, they're going to they're come through this world in the great tribulation and they're going to take out the unbelievers. But before that happens, then they're going to harvest, God is going to harvest uh, the wheat into his barn. Now, what's his barn? His barn is heaven. Now, let's go now back to Second Thessalonians after looking at that little parable there. To Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And go back into the context of what's going on here. Paul had been in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths. Three Sabbaths means he was there for how many weeks? Three weeks. That's a, that's a relatively short time. But during that time while he was there, he told them about the rapture. I have no doubt about that because you're going to see that as we look through the rest of this text. He told them about this coming gathering where the Lord would gather his church. And he told them that it could happen at any moment. And I believe he told them that it would happen before the great tribulation. And I'm going to show you why I believe that here in just a minute. But then Paul left the church. And Paul left the church at Thessalonica, and they went into this period of tribulation. Now, you, you know, we don't even understand what tribulation is all about, but they did. I mean, they were, they were being persecuted by the Romans, and they were being persecuted by the Jews. 
and they had an emperor on the throne who kind of fit the bill of the Antichrist when Paul had talked to them about the coming Antichrist. I mean, the emperor of Rome looked like he very well might be the Antichrist. I mean, some people thought Obama was the Antichrist. This emperor of Rome was a lot worse than Obama. Some people think Trump's the Antichrist. I mean, this guy was really bad, and he was really doing harm to the church. All the Roman emperors up until Constantine did great uh, persecution against the church. And so Paul's told the Thessalonians that all of these things are going to happen that this, that before, uh, uh, before Christ returns the second time, but before they went into the great tribulation, he would come and gather his church unto himself. And so they're going through these really difficult times and they think that maybe they've entered into the great tribulation, that the tribulation had begun, had begun and they had been left behind. And so Paul's going to answer those concerns in this little text. In the, in the process of answering their concerns, he's going to give us some really good information about the end of the times and about the rapture and about the timing of the rapture. So go with me to chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians and let's look down in verse Number one, we'll read uh, one and verses one and two. He says, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering. What's he mean by our gathering there? He's speaking of our rapture when Christ comes to get us. Our gathering together to him. That's this harvest that, that uh, we call the rapture. He says, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. In other words, you haven't entered the great tribulation yet. Don't be shaken by this. Christ hasn't come and left you behind. Uh, so don't be shaken in your spirit. Don't, don't listen to demonic voices about this. Don't, don't uh, feel like you've been left behind. Don't listen to any false teachers by, or by word or by letter. Or misinterpret our doctrine as if it was from us as though the day of Christ had come. The day of Christ hasn't come. You haven't missed the rapture. How did Paul know that? How did Paul know they had missed the rapture? What made him write on this? Well, Paul knew that certain things had to happen before the day of Christ began. Now, what's the day of Christ? I've gone over this several times with you, but there's a lot of confusion here. It's not a 24-hour day that he's speaking of there. He's talking about the time that begins with the rapture of the church. Then we enter into the great tribulation. Then at the end of the great tribulation, Christ returns and we go into the millennium for a thousand years. And then at the end of the millennium, mankind and Satan team together against Christ in this very last rebellion. And then they're uh, defeated, you have the great white throne judgment seat, and Satan and all the unbelievers are cast into the lake of fire forever, and we enter into eternity. So that day, that day of the Lord begins with the rapture, and it never ends. It goes on into eternity. So it's a time period. The term day refers to a time period, and we call it the day of the Lord. Here Paul refers to it as the day of Christ. It's the day of Christ. It's the day when Christ takes control. He takes fully 
uh, he, he takes full control of everything and then he rules and reigns forever on this earth. All right, now, three things have to happen. Paul's going to show us this, and I want you to watch this carefully, especially those of you who question the timing of the rapture, you question whether or not there is a rapture. Listen very carefully what he's going to show us today. He, three things have to happen before the day of Christ begins. He's going to show you these three, three things. First, it's the great apostasy, the great apostasy of the church. Secondly, the Antichrist has to be revealed. And then thirdly, the church must be removed from the earth. Three things. Let me go over them again. First, the great apostasy of the church. Number two, uh, the Antichrist has to be revealed. And number three, the church has to be removed from this earth. Now, we're going to look at the first two things that have to happen before, before the day of the Lord begins. And those are given to us in verse number three. Now, listen to what he says. He's, here are these Thessalonians who think the the tribulation has already started. Paul says, hey, that's not coming from us. Don't listen to what you're hearing. Uh, and, and then he says in verse number three, let no one deceive you by any means. For the day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition or the son of destruction. We know that man to be the Antichrist. So two things have to happen, in the, he tells us in this verse. First of all, the church has to fall away from Christ, the falling away. And then the second thing that has to happen is the Antichrist must be revealed. Now, first of all, let's talk a little bit about this falling away of the church. What do we call this falling away of the church? We call it the great apostasy. You've heard that term, the great apostasy. That's the falling away of the church. And really in that parable, go back with me to Matthew chapter 13. In that parable where Jesus speaks of the tares growing along with the wheat, the tares and, and grow and grow and grow until they almost virtually take over the church and then the uh, church is removed and there's nothing left but the tares and then the angels come in and there's this harvest that takes place in the great uh, tribulation of unbelievers who are then sent into Hades. All right, now, but he gives some more parables there about this time, and, and, and all of this is in context. One of the interesting things about Matthew, if you've ever studied Matthew in detail, every verse ties to the previous verse and the next verse. And if you want to learn how to interpret Scripture, especially in Matthew, you interpret it in its context. And so, the context of what's going on here is the kingdom and the development of the kingdom and the end of the, uh, not really the end of the kingdom, but really the start of the kingdom of Christ on earth. It began with his church, but, but, but it'll end with his rule on, and reign on this, on this earth. And uh, he gives us these parables here about what's going to take place before he comes at his second coming and rules and reigns. Now, look at, the, look at this picture he gives of the apostasy I want you to go again to Matthew chapter 13 and look down at verse number 31. And listen to what he says. He says, another parable he put forth saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man, with a, which a man took and sowed in his field. Now, why in the world did Jesus choose a mustard seed to describe the church? I mean, why would he use a mustard seed? 
take a pig, get, get your cell phones out, not right now, but later on, and look at a mustard tree. A mustard tree, you want, you want to, something to compare it to. Have you seen the chicken trees in Louisiana? That's kind of what a mustard seed tree looks like. It's not something you plant in your front yard. It's a really ugly, disjointed tree. And my question is, why, if he was going to give this parable about the church, did he use an olive tree? I mean, wouldn't that be appropriate? Because an olive tree produces olives, and in that culture, they use the olives to get the oil to light their lamps. Oh, what a great picture of the church, this church where you, it grows and it grows more and more olives and, and more and more olive oil and more and more light and more and more of the Spirit of God in the church. But see, that's not what's happening to the church. That's not what is going to happen to the church. And so he didn't use that. What about an oak tree? An oak tree who has those, that great foundation, you know, and, and it's just like we have that great foundation in Jesus Christ and it grows stronger and stronger and stronger and its roots go deeper and deeper and deeper. What a wonderful picture that would be of the church. But he doesn't use an oak tree. He uses a mustard seed. He says it's the kingdom of heaven, and he's speaking of the church here in context, is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. Now, if you've ever seen a chicken tree, it starts out as a little weed and it just gets uglier and uglier and uglier and uglier as it grows. Well, a mustard seed starts out and it has a purpose. It makes mustard seeds, which you can use, but then it goes to seed. And then it, like, unlike other herbs, when it keeps growing, it becomes this large tree, but it's good for absolutely nothing. He says, he says, again, he, he put forth this parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. And look at verse number 32. But, but which indeed is the least of all seeds. It's the smallest of all seeds. But when it's grown, it, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree. It, it's no longer an herb. It becomes a tree. And it's the smallest of seeds, just like, think of how the church started with 12 disciples. And look how large the church is today. And again, it would be great if it was this large oak tree that he was using to describe the church. But again, he says, it becomes a tree and all it's good for, look at the last part of verse 32, is so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now, if you know anything about interpreting scripture, you know that the birds of the air always refer to demonic spirits, to demons, to evil spirits. And so what the Lord is saying is this, that in the last days the church will become so apostate and that instead of being a resting place for born again believers, which is what it should be, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to the birds. It's going to be a place that is nothing more than a haunt of evil spirits. That's kind of a scary picture of the church. So the more it grows, the worse it gets, not the better it gets. Now, I want you to stop and think about that. He, he was writing this back in the first century. We're like over 2,000 years later. And you look at the church and you got to wonder if this great apostasy is not already here. It's not at the very least, it's very, very near. 
If you hadn't figured it out yet, look at the next parable he gives. Look at verse number 31. I'm sorry, verse number 33. He says, another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took. Now, in this case, the woman is the devil. And hid three measures of leaven until it was all leavened. Now, leaven, if you know anything about interpretation of scripture, if you read the rest of the scriptures, leaven always refers to what? Sin, sin and evil. And if you've ever cooked bread and you've, and you've put your leaven in your bread, what's the leaven do? It makes your, your bread get bigger and bigger and bigger. And for me, it's tastier and tastier and tastier. That's, that's where the parable breaks down here. I mean, the best rolls I ever ate in my life, my wife made them. And I'm going to tell you how she made them. She made it. We went to a, we were at seminary and we went to a party some friends were having and they just asked that she bring some of her homemade rolls. And she brought those rolls and she put leaven in them and we put them in the car and we drove over to the people's house and we went into the party and she forgot the rolls outside. And uh, it was about daylight, about like today, you know, about 95 degrees. And so we, she said, oh, I forgot the rolls. So she ran out there and got the rolls. And they had gotten as big as softballs. But I got to tell you, those rolls were to die for. But the picture I'm trying to show here is that leaven permeates the whole lump. If you have active leaven, which if you think about what leaven is, you probably wouldn't use it. But that's why the Jews used unleavened bread. It was a picture of not having sin in there. But the leaven permeates the whole lump. And so... This leaven, this evil, these tares that have been planted in the church will eventually take over the entire church, the entire organized church. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting. Not a very pretty picture. I mean, you would think that when he gave these parables that he could have given us a picture of the church growing and getting stronger and stronger and more wonderful and and more grounded in the Lord, but it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And that's what Paul is speaking of here. Let's go back to to, uh, 2 Thessalonians. That's what he's speaking of here when he talks about this falling away. He's speaking of the great apostasy. Paul also described this apostasy. You don't have to turn there. Stay there in 2 Thessalonians. But he also described this apostasy is second timothy chapter three he says in the last days perilous times will come and evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse and more and more deceiving and being deceived worse and worse do you catch that things aren't going to get better and better they're going to get worse and worse in chapter four second timothy he says the following thing about the church of the latter days He says, for the time will come when the congregations will not endure sound doctrine. They won't want to hear the word of God. But according to their own lust, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, teachers, their own teachers, and they will turn their ears from truth. I have news for you, friends. We are either there we are either real close to being there. I read an article the first of last month about how on June the 5th, 
the United Methodist Church ordained a transgender pastor. That's, uh, I mean, John Wesley had to turn over in his grave. I mean, that's a mainstream denomination. I read an article during Ramadan about how the Anglican Church was opening its doors for the Muslims to do their Ramadan prayers in their church and they were joining them in those prayers. That's the Anglican Church. I'm not going to name this guy's name, but I heard it or I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring it up. But the main guy with Hillsong, and we sing Hillsong and I love their music, so I'm not putting that down. But listen to what he said. He says, we are all children of God. The God of the Old Testament and the New Testament is the same God, Allah, that the Muslims worship. Have you heard that before? That's coming out of mainstream, very popular, something very conservative denominations. There's this great call for unity. I mean, just about every mainstream denomination has embraced some form of universalism. This idea that, that you can get to heaven other ways than through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what you say about that. What, what you say when you're saying that. You're saying that God is stupid. I mean, if he would die on a cross when there was some other way, he would not have died on a cross. If everybody was going to make it to heaven anyway, he would not have died on a cross. And you understand when you start saying that there are other ways, you're trampling on the blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, most mainstream uh, churches have adopted evolution. They're bringing evolution to the church, some form of evolution. In other words, the Genesis account, Genesis account is not accurate. It's just, it's just tradition. It's Jewish tradition. Well, what about the gospel? Is that Jewish tradition too? Let me tell you what. You don't have to check out your brains to believe in the Genesis account of creation. I challenge you to do some reading. Do some, I'm reading a book somebody gave me the other day to read about a, a Dr. Brand. Is it Brand? And, and, and his, book, his, his work with the cell, with the basic cell and the number, the, the, the work that goes on, the manufacturing that goes on within that one cell. And you have billions of cells in your body. And, and that didn't evolve. You, don't, you almost have to check your intelligence to believe it. Check your intelligence at the door in order to believe evolution. And then, you know, we, most of these denominations are uh, adopting gay marriage as, as, as are saying gay marriage is okay. I mean, look, I'm not picking on the homosexuals. Hom adultery is not okay. A drunkenness is not okay. Gossip is not okay. But whenever you start calling those things okay, you're calling God a liar. There's a lot of things that are an abomination to the Lord. And, and, and the things that are abomination to the Lord in the Old Testament are abomination to the Lord now. And then on one extreme, you've got these people preaching the prosperity gospel. And on the other extreme, you've got people preaching legalism. And, and, and so 
People are preaching everything but sound doctrine. And here's the problem. They want us to join with them in ecumenical unity. They want us to, to, to adopt these things. Hey, you're being too dogmatic. Hey, if, if people believe in Jesus, if we all believe in Jesus, that's all you need. Friends, that is not all you need. You can believe all the facts about Jesus you want, but you better learn understand sin. You better understand the sin nature. You better understand the fact that you're a sinner. You better understand the fact that you must be born again. And if you're not born again, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the only way you can enter the kingdom of heaven. And what's really sad, and the reason I think we're almost there, what's happening in the rest of these denominations and churches is happening right here in Calvary Chapel. It's already hit Calvary Chapel. This recent split that we've had in our, uh, they don't like to call it a denomination, but anytime you assemble a group of churches together, you've got to call it a denomination, whether you like that term or not. What's happening within our denomination, and the reason there's this split is because Chuck Smith's successor decided that we need to be more ecumenical, that we need to mix with these other denominations, that we need to, to allow these guys to come into our conferences and speak and, and to have some influence on us because, hey, we all love Jesus, and if we all love Jesus, everything's okay. Even if you believe that Allah is, is, is the same God as Jehovah God. Let me tell you what, if you believe that... You're either stupid or you're evil. One of two things. Ignorant, maybe stupid might not be the word. Ignorant or you're evil. You need to study about Allah. Allah is the moon god. Allah is Satan himself. Let me tell you what Allah is. And so we get, there's this pull for us to be more open to ecumenicalism. And, and that all sounds good. It, all, it sounds good. You know, it'd be great if all the churches get together and work together. I know people tell me that all the time. We need to work with other churches and tell we need to work with this church. We need to work with that church. That's fine if their doctrine's sound. But here's your problem. I mean, a lot of these denominations are, right, are already apostate. They've already gone to seed. And, and they're full of weeds and they're full of darkness. And what fellowship does light have with darkness, none, none. I'm not going to go to a church that's part of a denomination where they're ordaining transgender pastors. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go to any meetings they have. I'm not going to associate with them in any form or fashion. I mean, I love their people. I mean, I'll be kind to their people, but we're not going to have anything to do with that. We're not going to go meet together for, to pray for Lafayette. I'm not going to do that. Because then I'm endorsing that. Look, every church has weeds. Every church has weeds. We got weeds in here. I don't know who they are. And God hadn't told me who, which one of y'all are weeds and which one of y'all are wheat. He hadn't told me that, but every church has weeds. But good grass chokes out weeds. If you've got a good Church with sound doctrine, with sound people, it's going to choke out the weeds. Those weeds are going to come here and say, man, I don't like this. What's going on here? They talk, they're talking about sin and the devil and hell and, and heaven and, and Christ and the word and the cross and the blood. Well, I'm not going to go there. And eventually they'll leave or eventually they'll get changed by the word and that weed will be turned to weed. We were all weeds at one time. But let me tell you what, if you, if, if you, you unite with a patch of weeds, 
then you're going to become weeds at some point too. And so you'll become apostate too. Now, that leads us to the second thing that has to happen before the gathering uh, of the church to Christ. And that is the Antichrist has to be revealed. And let me tell you what, when the Antichrist comes on the scene, he's going to be the greatest ecumenalist of all time. He's going to come up with a one world religion and he's going to come up with a prophet who's going to preach that one world religion. We're going to talk a lot more about the Antichrist next week. In fact, I'm going to unmask the Antichrist next week. It's not me. It's not Obama and it's not Trump. But I, ne next week we will unmask the Antichrist. And I'll set a date. No, I'm not doing that. I'm just Let's read verse number three again. Listen to what he says. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The falling away, the church becomes apostate. Guys, I got news for you. We're there. We're, we're either there or we're very close to there. And then the man of sin, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. When Paul speaks of the man of sin, the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness, he'll also say, who's he speaking of? He's speaking of what John called, the man John called who? The Antichrist. Look at number four. How do I know that? Because look at number four. This man of sin opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, that's the man that Jesus spoke of when he was quoting Daniel, the man who commits the abomination of desolations. The man comes into the temple. He declares himself to be God. He demands worship from the world. And then all, you know, what breaks out on this earth. That's the abomination of desolations. And we're going to look at this man, the Antichrist, in detail next week because in the latter part of this chapter, Paul's going to talk about him some more. And we're not going to get into that today. Uh, but, uh, Suffice it to say uh, that this, before this gathering takes place, before the rapture takes place, the Antichrist must be revealed. He has to be unmasked. But here's what I want you to see. And I agree with what a lot of prophetic scholars believe. And that is that it's a, the unmasking of the Antichrist takes place at the same time the church is raptured. And I'm going to show you why I believe that in a minute. That's not just something I believe. That's something I think I can show you in Scripture. Uh, so when we're raptured out of here, then the, at that same time, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and the great tribulation is going to be, begin. All right. Now, so the third thing that must happen before the day of Christ begins is the church must be removed from this world. We've got to be removed from this world. Paul's going to say that here in this passage. So look at, let's look at the next few verses. Look at verse number five first, and then we'll, I'll make that point in 
verses six and seven. He says, do you not remember when I was still with you that I told you these things? Now here were the Thessalonians and they were worried that they had entered into the tribulation. And Paul says, hey, you didn't listen to me really good when I was there because I told you that some things had to happen before the day of the Lord began. I told you that first of all, that, that the church had to fall away. Second of all, that the Antichrist had to be revealed. And then there was a third thing that I had to show you. Don't you remember those things when I was with you? Now that's really interesting to me. Just that verse right there is really interesting to me because Paul was only at that church for three weeks. Now you can teach a lot of, if you like to preach a long time, if y'all would stick with me for three weeks solid, we could do a lot of doctrine here. And I don't know how much preach if they did eight hours a day, Paul was known to do that. But, but, in, but really he was there only a relatively short time. And in three weeks, he apparently told them a lot about the end times. He told them what must have to happen before the Lord returns and you enter into the, we enter into the great tribulation and then the Lord comes back and he rules and reigns on the reigns on the earth for a thousand years. So he told them a lot about those end times in those last three, I mean, in those three weeks that he was there. And so uh, you got to wonder, you know, you got to wonder why. I mean, did Paul make a mistake doing that? I mean, within a hundred years, all of those Thessalonians were dead and none of them had gotten raptured. They, were gone. they went on to be with the Lord, but they, none of them had gotten raptured. None of them entered the great tribulation. None of them saw the second coming of Jesus Christ. None of them uh, got to go into the millennium. Not yet. They're going to go into it. But, I mean, why did he give them all that detail if it wasn't going to happen in their lifetime? You've got to wonder why. Well, it's always been the case you go back and you read what Jesus told his disciples when he was leaving this earth. I'm going to return and I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come get you. I mean, you go way back to right before he was crucified and that's what he said. And so it's always been the case, always been the case that Christ could return at any moment. That the judge is at the door and at any moment and the fact that it could happen at any moment tells you there's got to be a rapture. If he could come for his church and Paul believed that too at any moment, then that means that there, they, that there is going to be a rapture, that they believed there was going to be a rapture and it could happen at any time. There was nothing to prevent that rapture from happening because it was the first event on the prophetic calendar, the next event on the prophetic calendar. And they believed that it could happen at any time. But still, why would you tell the Thessalonians that? Well, let me tell you what. Within 100 years, they were all dead. And... Where did they go when they died? To be absent from the bodies, to be what? Present with the Lord. And so let me tell you, whether we get raptured or whether we die and go to be with the Lord, we don't have much time left and we need to get ready. I mean, at any moment, God could come for you. He could rapture you out of here at any moment. You could die before this service is over. Please don't do that. But that could happen. Any of us could die at any moment. And so the purpose in telling us to be ready and to be watching is so that we're prepared to meet our maker. 
The Bible says prepare to meet your maker. We need to prepare to meet our maker. We need to be ready because the Lord could come at any time for us. But look at what he says now in verse number six. He says, and now you know what is restraining he, the Antichrist. And now you know what is restraining that he, the Antichrist, may be revealed in his own time. Paul says, yeah, you're, you're going through some rough times. But the emperor of Rome is not the Antichrist. You're not in the great tribulation. But look at, here's why you're going through rough, rough times. Look at the first part of verse number seven. The spirit of lawlessness, the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world. I mean, if the Antichrist was here, you would know it, Paul says. But, and things would be a lot worse. But you're going through some rough times. But... Something is restraining the Antichrist from coming. And he says, you know what restrains the devil from putting the man of uh, sin on the throne. Who's restraining him? What's restraining him? It's a he. He is the Holy Spirit. You know who's restraining the Antichrist from taking over this world. It's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who is a lot in a who is alive in you. Now look at verse number seven. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. I mean, the persecution you're experiencing uh, uh, is because, hey, there's already antichrist in this world. Look, there have always, since Christ has left, there have always been antichrist in this world. There have always been people who are against Christ and against Christians. But this Antichrist, is, the real Antichrist is going to be far worse than any of these Antichrists. Only he, looking back at verse number 7, and notice the he there. It's in caps. So who's that referred to? It refers to God. And I think here he's specifically speaking of God the Spirit. And so only he who now restrains will do so until he, that's in caps too, God the Spirit is taken out of the way. And then Christ will, uh, will come, and then Christ will uh, come and gather his church unto himself. Now, look carefully there at verse number seven. Again, let's, let's read verse number seven again. He says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, what has to happen before the great tribulation begins? What is Paul saying in all of that? He who restrains the Antichrist from coming on the scene has to be taken away. And that he is none other than the Holy Spirit. Now, what's that got to do with the church? Let me ask you, where does Christ dwell in this world now? In us, in us, we're the tabernacle of God. True believers are the tabernacle of God. Paul asks the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are the tabernacle of God, the habitation of the Holy Spirit? So the Bible is real clear that when you believe on Christ, you're sealed with the Spirit 
forever. And the Bible is also clear that he will never leave you or forsake you. Now, if you're left here during the great tribulation and the spirit leaves, that who restrains the Antichrist from coming on the scene, if he leaves this world to itself, which is what's going to happen in the great tribulation, if he leaves this world to himself and he doesn't take you, then he's lied because he's forsaken you. Could you imagine the Holy Spirit leaving this earth and leaving you here without the spirit? So that who restrains the Antichrist from coming on the scene, which is really the church, the true church, because it's the church, true born to begin believers who have the spirit of God in them, that which restrains him must be removed before he comes on the scene and the great tribulation begins. And so that means, guess what? You do the math. That means if the spirit's got to be removed, you've got to be removed too before the Antichrist comes on the scene, before the great tribulation begins. Man, I got to tell you, that could happen at any moment. It, at any moment, Christ could come for his church and the spirit of God be removed from this earth. You talk, you talk, you look around and you look at how terrible things are in this world right now. You remove the church and I'm not talking about all the buildings and I'm not talking about all the apostate church, the Laodicean church. I'm talking about the true church. You remove true believers from this world and you remove the Holy Spirit from this world. It's going to be, you think it's bad now? It's going to be really, really bad when that happens. And you know, we're living in a time when people are expecting the end, the apocalypse to happen at any moment. Even unbelievers believe we're living in the very last days. But here's the great news. Before that time comes, we're going to be out of here. You and I are going to be out of here. You know, I think it's very, very, a very, very sad thing what's becoming of the church today. To see the church becoming so apostate exponentially, giving into the world and the world system so rapidly is really, really, really sad. To see how fast this world is becoming evil exponentially. You look at the things that are going on versus... 50 years ago, and, and, and we are rapidly, you know, traveling down this road straight to hell. I mean, I mean, straight to destruction, straight to judgment. I mean, things are really, really getting bad. Now, hopefully, you know, in the United States, we'll see a revival soon and things will turn around. But, but I don't think, personally, I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think there's people who are willing for that to happen. You see some of the events that have taken place in the last few years that should have shaken us to the core and turned this nation around and they do for a few days and then right back to the, to the debauchery we go. And, and, and it's really sad. But I got to tell you, I get excited about this stuff. I get excited not because of the sad things that are going on in the world because people are going to go to hell, but I get excited that the end is near. I get excited that the Lord could come for me at any moment. 
And it motivates me. It's what motivates me to prepare my sermons every week. It's what motivates me to get in my closet and pray to the Lord. It's what motivates me to, make, to try to make sure that I've done my part to make sure that my lamp is full when Christ returns. And, and you know, there's parables about that. There's, there's verses about that. But we have become so worldly. We have become so worldly as a, as, a, as a people, as a church, that if we don't pull back from that and separate ourselves from this world, I mean, we might still be saved by the hair of our chinny-chin-chin, but we're going to be saved as unto fire. We're going to be saved uh, uh, without Without, well, being saved, being saved. But we're going to be ashamed. I guess is what I'm looking for there at the coming of the Lord. We're going to be ashamed. I mean, these things, God gives us these texts. He gives us these verses. He gives us these prophecies for the same reason he gave them to the Thessalonians. To excite us about his soon coming. To get us motivated to, to serve him. To get us motivated to, to get close to him. I mean, I got to tell you, time is short. We don't have much more time on this earth to do that. And we want to take the opportunity that God gives us while we have those opportunities. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the encouraging word that you give us about your soon coming, Lord. And I, we are so grateful for for your spirit, for, for your blood that, that uh, gave us our salvation, Lord. And uh, we just thank you for, for the future that we have. We have such a grand future in store for us. And as we see things get darker and darker, Lord, it was just a sign that, that the dawn is about to break and that you're about to come. So, Lord, help us to be uh, motivated to... to do your will in every area where you've placed us in this world to serve you, to be your witness, to, and most importantly, Lord, to draw close to you as that day approaches. We just thank you for, for all your goodness. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.